Hello, welcome to this very special Christmas edition of the Penguin Podcast. Thank now, you. Without any preamble, mm-hmm. um, because he's already said thank you, um, and you would know him just by that, just those two words. Sir Paul McCartney sitting in front of me. Mm, thank you. It ruined your introduction, <laughs> talking right across you. No, it didn't at well, all. All you need. It's, it's one of those weird things, um, Paul, where you kind of say, this person needs no introduction, but yeah. because it's audio, you have to introduce yes, them. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Why don't you insist on being called Sir Paul? Because um, some do. I'd just rather make it as informal as possible, you know. So it's just like, uh, call me anything but early. Do you feel, I guess the pressure's not the right word, but do you feel that you always have to put people at ease because people are so nervous when they mm, meet someone? A little bit, famous, yeah. You do, yeah. But I think that's not just being famous. I think that's also Liverpool. It's a very Liverpool thing, you know, with my family growing up. All right, son, yeah, go ahead, yeah, sit down, go ahead, don't worry about it. It's just an instinct from that part of the world, I think so. So for me, I've kind of used that anyway. And then now it's more necessary because if I'm famous, then there's people quaking in their boots and like, oh my God. And I can imagine it. If I had to interview someone famous tomorrow, I'd be like thinking about it all night, no morning. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I imagine that's what they're going through. And normally you can see there's a little bit fear in the eyes or there's like shaking or something. Yeah, so I like to put people at ease and just, you know, say, look, it doesn't matter. I'm just some guy. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like that, where you've approached someone that you've been in awe of? Yeah, there's one or two people who uh, I would be quite nervous of. Bob Dylan actually would kind of make me a little bit, oh, my God, what am I going to say? You know, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be good? But um, I did see him. We did a a Coachella, which was old cella, because it was like Stones, us, Neil Young. It was like older, and Bob Dylan. It was older acts. But it was great. I got to talk to Bob there. And he was he was very really nice. So I don't know why I would have been nervous, but you, you get that with some people. It is a funny thing, actually, when you think about it. What do you have to do to get secure in yourself? I mean, I would have thought I'd done enough now to just think, no, I'm cool. You know, I don't need to be nervous of anyone. But it's a human condition, I think. You just, there's just something, you know, where you sometimes think, is it good enough? Am I good enough? Have I done? I used to know the composer Richard Rodney Bennett. And we worked together, and he's a great guy. And he once, we were just hanging out at his place, and he once said, you know, my greatest fear is being found out. And I thought, oh, God, that's kind of sad, because he's incredible. So, you know, I spoke, spent the next five minutes in Richard. You were like, you're the man, you're the best, you know. But I totally get it. And, I mean, John Lennon was not that secure, I remember John saying to me once, what are people going to think of me when I'm dead? You know, I wonder if they'll like me. And I said, now just you stop. Listen to me. People are going to go crazy. People love you and they're going to love you more. And obviously that's turned out to be the case. But, you know, I I had to reassure him and say, you're great. You may not think it. You may worry that you're not done enough. But I said, but believe me, you have 
And I thought, you know, it can happen to anyone. Can... Have you needed that reassurance through yeah. life? Sure. Yeah, because... You've been famous for like nearly 60 years now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, that's what I was saying. You'd think I'd know that I'd done okay. And you'd think, you know, I've, I've amassed a little pile over here of successes. So you'd think I could look at that and go, I'm all right. I'm okay. It's not that easy. You know, life's not that easy. You'll be writing something. You hear, you hear about this all the time, particularly with creative artists. Yeah, absolutely. They're all just, they're writing something and they're thinking, this is no good. You know, and it may turn out to be a really great piece, but during the creative process, they're self-flagellating. Well, I mean, now we're lucky to live in an age, Paul, where men are being encouraged to talk about how they feel. Mm. Which certainly for your generation was not the case. Was no, it? you know. Well, that's right. I do a song in my show, which is called "Here Today," which I wrote after John died, and I say to people in the audience, I say, you know, if there's something you want to say that's really nice, get it said. Because I say, because so often you'll say, "Oh, I'm going to tell that person what I think of them," and then you think, "Oh, I'll tell them tomorrow," and you sometimes put it off. So I, I explained that when we first started off as a group, we're four lads from Liverpool. Hey, I'm not going to tell anyone I love him. You're kidding. So we never did any of that. So it, it needed me to write it into this song after he died. Was it important for you to allow your kids to feel like that, that they could talk about their feelings openly? Or did you carry on some of that kind of generational inward-looking to, yeah. to, no, to your kids. I think you learn. I think you learn along the way, you know, that, that there are better methods and that you can encourage people to be more open. Do you learn that from your kids? Yeah, I think so. You know, you learn it with your kids, you learn it from the kids, and you learn it for the kids. You want to be a good parent. And then, of course, in the end, it ends up them telling you, they're smarter than you are anyway, you know. And that's a great thing, you know, it's lovely. My, my 10-year-old and 12-year-old certainly think they're smarter than me. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they really do. How different are you a grandfather than a father? Are there things that you do as a grandfather that mm. are really different? That, and in mm. some ways say, well, I didn't get a chance to do that as a father, so I'm going to do this as a grandfather. It's essentially spoiling them. <laughs> You know, because you want to be a responsible parent and you want them to eat well so you don't give them too many Mars bars or whatever it is. You know, you say, well, you know, just this once or whatever as a parent. And, you've, you you know, you're doing the right thing. And you know it's right. You want them to grow up healthy, you know. But as a grandfather, it's different. I mean, I once saw a mat in... Uh, America, I say I saw it. I actually bought it. It says, grandchildren spoiled here. And you put it on your front step, you know. So, I mean, I think that's the thing that, that you suddenly allowed to, uh, to be the one that can give them sweets or something, you know. Okay, but do you go against the express wishes of your kids? So it's like, Dad, I'm going out. You're looking after the kids. No screens, no sweets. <laughs> now, do you, as you know, your kids close the door to go off on a night mm, out, mm. go, yes, absolutely. Your mm. rule is that's absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or do you go, right, right, ice cream out, screens on, happy days? I try. Oh, here we go. But it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, the minute they're 
the doors close. Granddad, can we have a... Oh, go on then, just two. Well, I think that's part of it. You, you know, attain the right to do that. And I think the parents don't mind. They kind of know you're going to do that anyway. So, you know, there's them because they're sensible and serious and bringing the kids up right. And then there's these crazy people, the grandparents, and they will do it wrong. But, but they're not with them all the time. So they'll allow it, you know. What joy do you take from creating a book like Hey Grand Dude? What joy does it give you? The main joy, I think, writing it and now is the idea of people reading bedtime stories to children. I always think that's a very special moment in your day. And it's a great thing for creating a relationship. You know, Jerry Seinfeld does a funny thing on this because, you know, he sort of says when he was a kid, it was like, go to bed. And that was it. He said, now it's like, darling, what kind of milk would you like? What book would you like me to read? And he goes on about it. Yeah, but I've always read to the kids. I like that. And it was a good moment for me to be able to be the one that was sort of putting them to bed, quieting them down and enjoying this book together. So I love the thought of people doing that. And the feedback is great. When people say, I said, well, what did you like best? Oh, well, my kid liked the horse with the spots. I said, oh, that's modelled on my horse, you know, or whatever. You know, it just gives you something fun to talk about. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest joy for me is realising people are actually taking it and actually reading it to their kids. Do you have more time to read to your grandchildren than you did to your own children just because you know, an earlier stage in life, and you work so hard now. I mean, touring and... No, I don't. ...musical. Come on. People think I work hard because they hear about, oh, he's doing that, he's doing the tour. What they don't hear about is the month's holiday in August. Well, that's not working hard. You know, how many people do you know have a month off and then Christmas and so So I take plenty of holidays. Was there sacrosanct But I do like working. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're blessed to do something mm. you love. Well, that's true. And that is a blessing, isn't mm. it, to be able to do that. Do you remember sitting there with your own kids with the books? What were the books that you read to them? To them, um, Lion, Witch and Wardrobe. Oh, well, yeah. That was a Keep you going. lot of material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can get into the Lord of the Rings eventually, yeah. I mean, tell you the truth, I actually like the books just as much as they do. Because, you know, it's colourful and funny little stories and often very imaginatively written. So I can get into a good kid's story. Do the voices change? Oh, yeah. Got to do the voices. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's... Yeah, it wouldn't be the same if you didn't. And your grandchildren call you Grand Dude. I mean, this is what this is about. Yeah, they do. One of them one day said, Hey, Grand Dude. And I thought, oh, that is brilliant. They occasionally will call me that, now, but that's what kicked it all off. Because so I just thought, well, that's, that's very sort of fun. And then I realised later it kind of fits with Hey Jude, Hey Grand Dude. It even rhymes. It's an important thing mm. to bring in the musical heritage mm. into it uh, 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 as well. Because they obviously know you as Grandad or Grand yeah. Dude. Yeah. And they're they're different in ages from, what, 7 to 20, I believe. Yeah. So um, the younger ones... Yeah. are also aware of Sir Paul McCartney in a different context. 
How aware are they of that? They're very aware. I mean, kids these days... They come to shows as well. They come to shows. And I just will say to the audience, how amazing is this? You know, I've got grandkids in the audience and they're watching their old granddude rock. It, it's, a, it's a great feeling. They love it. You know, they, they're a good audience. This is the Christmas edition of the Penguin Podcast, so it would be remiss of me not to ask what a McCartney Christmas is like. This year will be, because my wife's American, this year we'll be spending some time in America and New York where they do Christmas great. But then we come back for the Christmas meal with the family and that's very, as it always was, you know, except he's vegetarian. Of course. Of course. Of course. So, and you're a dad. Well, you hand. know, I carve the non-turkey. I carve the roast, and uh, there's everything else is there. You know, all the other stuff. So yeah, it's great. I, I love that, and it's it's very important to you know have the family together. And then we may we may go to a Christmas play together and stuff. You know, it's the kind of thing people do. Do you, you know. cook? I can cook. I don't have too much. Because people around me cook better than me. But, you know, if I'm on my own, uh, I cook. Yeah. Do you have traditions yourself? I mean, there are things that you need to do. My mum has to watch the Queen's Speech. That's one of her traditions mm. uh, every single Christmas day. Yeah. Are there things that you, you, you kind of that you feel familiar to you and you must do every Christmas? Yeah, I think so. Like I say, carving the roast, you know, helping Santa put, you know, put some food out for him. Someone's got to do that. Yeah, and the reindeers. And the, the reindeer, reindeer they yeah. need to be got to leave a little for them, yeah. yeah. We open the presents together, you know, um, and that's always a great are you, moment. Are, do you like the, the kind of mid-afternoon snooze? Are you a fan of the siesta? I'm not a snoozer, no. It's, it's funny, actually, because I have this feeling that I've got to wake up again. You know, I've just got up. I've got myself in wake mode, and now you're going to put me to sleep and I've got to wake, do it all again. So I don't bother. And then my theory is that it means I will really be knackered by the time it's bedtime. Right. And I will sleep well. Christmases as a kid? What do you remember of those? Very nice, you know. I'm just saying what comes into my mind. Making Christmas cards. You draw your own. You know, you didn't go to a shop and buy lovely ones. So I used to draw a reindeer and holly with little red berries, and then a colour in. Classic. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Or Santa sometimes, right. yeah. Let's not try and reinvent the wheel on this no, one. No, that's, that's it. It's all you need. It's interesting with drawing. You didn't want to take on the drawing yourself then of Grandin. Of Grandin. You've got now, an amazing right. illustrator, Catherine Durst, to work yes. with. she is fantastic. How yeah. does that collaboration work then? Well, it's interesting, actually, because the publishers didn't really want me talking to the illustrator. Which I thought was, wow, that was like, because anything else I do, people are quite happy for me to talk to people. But then I, I thought, and I still haven't had it confirmed, but I think that they've probably had some nightmare dealings with, between the illustrator and the author saying, no, 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 I can't have him in that tie. Or she doesn't look like that. Her hair's much longer and is holding up the process. So the publishers go, nah, let's keep them apart and they create a wall between you. But I insisted and I said, look, I'm not going to cause any trouble. I get it, I think, what you're worried about. And I, I rang her. So there was a little bit of collaboration, actually, and uh, it was, I think, better for it. The collaboration, I mean, how did that 
pan out in the sense of there was a conversation, but mm. the conversation was what? I mean, do what you feel, right? Well, yeah, sure. Um, she showed, first of all, some ideas of how she thought Grand Dude looked. And he was a bit too cowboy right. for me. I said, no, no, he's not like that. He's, he's, in my mind, he's sort of a British guy, a bit of an old hippie. And I sort of described how I saw him in my mind. And I actually did do a drawing that uh, that she totally ignored, <laughs> quite rightly. But uh, I just said, well, I think I'm thinking him, he looks a bit like this, you know. And uh, there were other little things uh, that came along. She she was doing a sequence where the, the kids and grand dude are all riding horses. And she didn't have the feet in the stirrups on the saddle. And she just didn't know, obviously, what those were. And I talked to her about that. And we had a laugh, you know. In the actual book, it was, she, had, she corrected it. And uh, then she eventually came over for a book signing to London. And I'd met her. She came to one of my concerts. She's fantastic. And uh, it's a really nice girl. There's postcards here. This is the yes. postcards. That, where did that idea come from? Someone from Penguin had said, do you want to do a project? So I said, well, yeah, I, I got this idea and explained it to them. Well, they sent me a presentation and they sent it in the form of a suitcase with postcards inside. And I'd said I wanted him to sort of have adventures in various exotic locations. But the idea of the postcards was theirs. So not being averse to a little nicking here and there, I said, that's a good idea. And so it was good, actually, because it really became quite a collaboration. I would show them what I was thinking, and they would say, well, what about, could, could you do this and alter it? And most of the time I said, yeah, there were one or two things. I said, no, no, I'd like to keep it. And, have have uh, you always been that guy, Paul, that can delegate to experts rather than be some in your position mm. with the power that you mm. wield, will yeah. go, no, this is the way we're doing it because I think I'm best at what I'm doing. Have you yeah. always been the person that can go, can actually go, yeah? Yeah, it works both ways. I mean, if I'm having a meeting about we're planning something, a tour or a record or a, a book, one of the things I'll say first off is, look, I'm going to have a lot of ideas, but you're free to not like them. You know, please don't think... Because it would be easy for me to just say, oh, I think this is a great idea. Oh, Paul likes this. I think he wants to do it. Like, and if I didn't say anything, that could go uh, a bit wrong. So I do say, look, you know, um, give me your ideas. Now, that doesn't mean I take them all. But I do like a creative team. And they are often smarter than me. I know it's hard to believe. Oh. Is it, I know it's, it's not true. It, Surely it's not uh, true. Maybe it isn't. No. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed the learning experience of sitting around with people who know what they're doing. Being in a band presumably would have aided that. Yeah. Because it's not um, dictatorship. That's probably the most difficult time because in, in a band you don't always see eye to eye and you can get a little friction little bits of arguments and stuff. But again, it's what happens in bands. And it's actually, in the end, it's very good for the creative process because it means no rubbish gets through. I mean, with the Beatles, we had this rule always from the beginning, which was everyone has to agree on a song or a decision. It has to be 
four votes out of the four. So, you know, if we'd have written a song and Ringo didn't like it, it didn't get done. Now, that is, having said that, it didn't happen often, but that was the rule. And I think that made it stronger. Do you um, listen to Beatles music on Christmas Day? I don't listen to a lot of Beatles music. I don't listen to a lot of my own music. Why? Because you're often onto the next thing, and I'm, I'm always sort of doing something because I enjoy working. But um, what is nice is when we remaster an album or when there's a project, particularly the Beatles, from 60 years ago, or it's an anniversary, it's 50 years, it's 60 years, I have to listen to it to approve it, to say that the remaster is, is a great job. So we, we play the remastered sound alongside the old sound. And you just, sometimes the old sound's better. So you go, oops, wait a minute, it's got more body, and the engineer will address that. So um, that's how I listen to Beatles records. But it is amazing to just hear something dredged from all that time ago. Because probably um, my own stuff, definitely, I would just write it, record it, and release it, and probably never listen to it again till the remastering session. And so I enjoy that. I do listen. In America, there's a Beatles channel. So when I'm there, I do listen to that. <laughs> are you, are you, are you, Must admit. When you listen to those original recordings, are you back in the room? Do you feel that? Yeah, yeah. Particularly, do you remember? <clears throat> particularly with the modern techniques, they can make it really like you, you're there. Some people say, well, why do you want to mess with the Beatles records? Why do you want to do anything? Just leave them, you know. But it's like, well, technology has now got it to a point where you can do sort of surround sound and there's always something better and more wonderful. So they can, I mean, obviously when we were recording it, there was no hiss. But when it comes to a record, there's a little bit of hiss. It never bothered me. In fact, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she said, oh, I like that. She said, she's Liverpool. She said, I like that. She says, let me know there's a song coming, which I thought was brilliant. But uh, so anyway, they can take that off and they can present it cleanly, which is very much as you heard it when you recorded it. So it, it is great. It does take you back. And often I can remember sort of exactly where I was, exactly where John was. Ringo was over there. George was over there. And it's it's very nice because it, triggers some beautiful memories. Yeah. I live now near Manchester and I Never mind, as long as you got your health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't resist. <laughs> you could you could never speak. Either way, either yeah. side. Yeah. And um and I, I visit Liverpool and I absolutely love the energy of Liverpool. I love Liverpool, mm. I have to say. Mm. And I also love the fact that Liverpool as a city have always pushed against any type of fascism or far right. It's always mm. been a city where mm. when any of those people turn up, they always get booted out. Yeah. Um, when you're abroad, what are the things that come out in your own head go, yeah, that's a Liverpudlian speaking, right? I mean, you said it all where you make people feel comfortable mm. and famous and you say that you direct that. What other things? You can take the boy out of Liverpool, but you ain't taking <laughs> Liverpool out of the boy. I think there's just a few things, you know, that you sort of learn as you grow up. I remember once when I was just starting to go to pubs, I remember Auntie Jin taking me to one side and saying, listen, son, you've got to offer to pay for one round. You know, where I wouldn't have thought to do that. And it's like, I'll deck this one, this one's on me, you know. 
Um, so I can't think that kind of just that hospitality thing I'm big on. Uh, it's not just putting people at ease. It's making people enjoy themselves. You know, my dad was very good like that. He had a little back garden and he was a king gardener. So, you know, as people were leaving, he'd, he'd pick them a little bunch of flowers from the garden. So, yeah, I'll love, you know, you take that. So that idea of trying to make people's lives better isn't a soppy one to me. It's just I was very lucky. I had a very lovely family in Liverpool. And I can't remember any acro. I mean, how lucky is that, you know? I thought everyone had that kind of a family. That's interesting because so many artists you've met, Paul, mm. over the years, it's almost that the pain of those kinds of years that mm. is a fuel to their creativity and almost mm. a reaction to it. That's true as well. Yeah, but yeah. you didn't have any of that. You well, no, I did. I had plenty of that, but not in my family. But not in your family. Not in my right, family. Okay. You know, I went outside, I got mugged, you know, yeah, whatever, that, yeah. you know. They, um, but that love, the, that, that you had that foundation. Yeah, from the family. I think that's a great thing. If you can, But I say, I thought everyone had it. And then I met John, and his family was uh, a tragedy. You know, his father left home when he was three. His mum got knocked over and killed um, by a car. He, he, had a, he had a very tough life, you know. It put my lovely family life into perspective. And I said, wow, I was so lucky to have all these great uncles. And when they'd be leaving, they'd, they'd slip you a bit of money. Hey, our son, you have that. And you're like, oh, he's God. This is God giving away money. You know, so all of that, it, I think it is very Liverpool. And I was lucky to be brought up in a working class Liverpool family where there was all everything like that, I learned from that. And, you know, we'd have uh, New Year's Eve sing-alongs party and stuff. So I think a lot of my love of music and my dad played piano in the house. So I think I learned a lot from all of that. You seem to be such a positive person, an optimistic person. I interviewed Chrissy Hind recently and she, she was brilliant because it's almost as if we tried to... I think people of a certain generation, you expect them to moan about the world. Mm. that they live in. Mm. Uh, and she didn't. She's, she was so optimistic about no, it. She's, she's a good girl. What makes you feel happy and optimistic about the world we live in? I just think it's a miracle. I think if you actually look at the science of the galaxy, the, uni the universe, where we're placed on this little ball is the perfect spot for life as we know it. So for trees and rivers and creatures and humans and all of that, this appears to be the only place that's it's perfect. And, you know, we always say if you moved a little bit this way, you'd freeze to death. And if you moved a little closer to the sun, you'd fry to death, you know. So there's something miraculous, I think, about that. Okay, humans screw it up, yes, you know, and that's unbelievable that we should do that. I don't think we mean to. I don't think anyone means to. But um, but I guess greed and thing does does greed and does, stupidity and stupidity uh, few you know, people to do. Uh, well. Yeah, but I think it's always been like that. In fact, I think it's been worse than that. You know, if you'd lived in London during the old old days, you might have got you know, slashed and killed and for your 
pockets or your handkerchief or whatever. I think there, you know, there was plenty of crime around. Yeah. But yeah, I just have a feeling that it's good to be positive as well, to have a sort of positive attitude. And I'm lucky enough to be able to feel that. Let's have a little listen to the beginning of the audio book, uh, this is Hey Grand Dude, uh, which you read and play the guitar. Lucy and Tom and Em and Bob were spending a weekend with their granddad. The day was one of those days when nothing felt quite right. It was grey and drizzly and everybody was grumpy and too bored to be bothered. Cheer up, chillers, said Grandude, and he pulled out a pile of postcards from the back pocket of his trousers. Look at these! Em picked out a postcard with a picture of a sandy beach and sparkling blue waters. I wish we could go there, Grandude, she said. Well, let's see what we can do. That was Hey Grand Dude, written and read by uh, my guest, Sir Paul McCartney. And just a reminder to subscribe to the Penguin podcast so you don't miss us twice a month. And you can also get us on your Alexa-enabled device. Uh, what was it like reading your book it was as good. the audio and recording it? it. Yeah, I, I like to do things that I don't normally do because it keeps it fresh and it keeps life exciting. So I was asked to do the audio book and immediately said, yeah. Because it's not a long book, so I knew it wouldn't be a huge... It was like, you know, I, I know Bruce Springsteen, and he read his audiobook. Now, that I don't think I'd enjoy, because that's a long book, and he enjoyed it. But because it was so short, I immediately said, yeah. And um, it was good. It was good fun. Again, it was something I didn't know how you did, except I know how to read a book. But what happened with me was that... I read it just as I would. Can you give me the book? Yeah, of course. So I would, I, would, I read it just as, you know, uh, how I'd think, well, this is adequate. You know, I'm reading it to kids. It doesn't have to be a big thing. So I can just say, a cowboy galloped towards them on a beautiful spotted horse. Hey, grand dude, called the cowboy, waving his hat in the air. I would think that's enough. But the producer who knew what he was doing would say to me no 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 I don't know a bit more spirited so I would kind of go a cowboy gallop towards them on a beautiful spotted horse he'd go yeah that's it and I thought well I'm way over the top hey grand dude called the cowboy but I thought <laughs> to no, perform but you see yeah it, it worked yeah but you know I think when you just first do it you think no, I'll just read it but you do have to perform it yeah I mean, you obviously like the sound of your singing voice because you listen to the radio station dedicated to your singing voice <laughs> when you're in America. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, what about the s listening to the sound of your spoken voice? First heard it, and they had these old tape recorders, massive things, and, you know, you'd, you'd record yourself, and everyone, all of them, I don't sound like that. And all the uncles and aunties, I don't sound like that, do I? They didn't think they had much of a Liverpool accent. It comes up, you know, hello, this is Auntie Vi talking. <laughs> it's like, you do talk like that, Auntie Vi, you know. But, oh. uh, yeah, so for me, sound of my own voice, uh, yeah, I prefer not to listen to it. You know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, it's funny, it can 
make you a little bit insecure. And yet, I do it. It's been such a pleasure hanging out with you. Well, great. Thank this you so much. It's been very nice for me. Thank you. Cheers. Fifty Penguin classic titles read by actors including Natalie Dormer, David Harewood and Andrew Scott are now available in audio. The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Read by David Harewood. This isn't war. It never was a war. Any more than there's war between men and ants. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Read by Anna Popplewell. I am no bird, and no net ensnares me. I am a free human being with an independent will, which I now exert to leave you. Get them on Apple Books, Audible and all audiobook retailers. Happy listening.